The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We appreciate you listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www dot patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273 and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Hello and welcome to the addiction podcast point of no return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for the podcast and my husband Steve is the producer of the podcast. We are co-creators of the podcast, if you will. We are closing in on the end of our seventh year of putting up weekly podcasts. And while we don't hear from a lot of you, we believe in our hearts that our podcast gives you hope and hopefully gives you messages that will help you. Um, that's our whole purpose. That's why we do what we do. A reminder to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating so that other people can find our podcast and hear the messages we put out. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up on our videos because that way, again, when people Google, how can I find a podcast or videos with about addiction? then we come up. And that's the whole point because we want more and more people to listen to it. And lastly, before I talk about the interview for this week, first of all, it's episode number 359, as I said, close to the end of our seven years of podcasting. Um, we do this as a passion project. This is um, not something that we make a lot of money at. And we do it because we do not want parents to lose their children. We want people to become clean and sober. We want people to get out of the clutches of drug and alcohol addiction. That's why we do this. And um, we set up a Patreon account if you would like to contribute to what we do and help us pay our expenses. Um, it's patreon.com slash the addiction podcast and the numbers digits 273, the addiction podcast 273, whatever amount. If you want to support us, that would be fabulous. So today we have an interview with a woman who actually had me on her TV show as an interview. So that's kind of exciting. Her name is Marcy Hopkins, and she is an award-winning TV personality, talk show host, and author. She's the brilliant mind behind the captivating Wake Up with Marcy and Hillary, a talk show with a heart, which has won the prestigious Telly Award three times. And it's a great show. I had a lot of fun being on there. Lovely ladies. Her show is an inspiration, source of inspiration and empowerment, sharing remarkable stories of triumph and transformation. She's deeply committed to changing lives, drawing from her own journey of overcoming alcoholism and celebrating eight years of sobriety. Through her book, 
and show, Marcy aims to show that healing is possible and that difficult situations do not define us. She's actively involved in her community. She supports organizations such as the Kumali Organization and the YMCA, and she's helped open a sanctuary with Access Family Services. Let's talk to Marcy Hopkins and get her story. Marcy Hopkins, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and tell us your story. I'm excited to be on your show because you had, I mean, to have you on our show because you had me on your show. <laughs> yes, it was great to have you on and I'm so excited to to be on yours. I mean, incredible work. Thank you. Thank you. So Marcy, just tell me or tell our listeners about where you grew up, what your childhood was like. Um, yeah. Tell us about you. Yeah. So I actually grew up in Houston, Texas, and um, my mother had a, had me at a very young age. She had actually just turned 19, so wow. it wasn't necessarily planned. And my mother and my father both did try. They got married for about a year. And But as you can imagine, at a very young age, it was very difficult. Uh, it also was in 69. So a lot of partying going on, a lot of drugs and alcohol. That didn't work out so well. And my mother was then dating and she found another boyfriend. And so I was shuffled in between my grandparents and my mother. And when I was about six years old, my mother had uh, a boyfriend at that time. And there was a situation that happened and he ended up beating me in front of my mother and I had to make a decision to live with my grandparents or my mother and I chose my grandparents. Wow. And, and you so were six, lived, you said? I was six and I had to make that decision. What a horrendous thing for a six-year-old to have to do. I will never forget the phone call telling my mother uh, that I was going to stay with my grandmother. And I just remember crying uncontrollably and honestly really just wanting her to like come through that phone and grab me and say, you know, I want you, not this man. Um, but that's not what happened. Um, and then I stayed with them till I was about 12 years old and my mother remarried. Uh, and I did think that this would be our knight in shining armor, that we would have this incredible life together. And then there was sexual abuse that began by my stepfather. Oh. So there was a lot of trauma, as you can see, in my youth. Um, a lot of abandonment issues, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse. Um, while I was very grateful to be with my grandparents, um, my grandfather had a very explosive uh, temper. So there was also the fear of when when's the next time my grandfather's going to explode. And it wasn't just a little bit of screaming. There was a lot of screaming and it would escalate at a, at a, a pretty terrifying rate sometimes. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's my early on years. Because you went back, I assume, after 12, after the sexual abuse, you went back to live with them? I did not. Oh, I did okay. not. So that's, I, I'll take that is like the next chapter of my life. Right? Okay. So then I moved in with my mother and my stepfather. <clears throat> um, I was extremely happy. And then the sexual abuse started. 
touching him inappropriately, inappropriate uh, talk to me, um, doing stuff to me in my sleep. And I did end up, my mother and I, and there's obviously long stories that go with this. Um, What happened was the sexual abuse had been going on. First time my, my stepfather touched me, he took me to the movie Porky's. So you may remember the movie Porky's. Not an appropriate movie to take uh, your 12-year-old to. And I remember it's it's so amazing how in one minute something could change so drastically because I was sitting there next to him in the theater. He had his very big man, about 6'2", 200 pounds, arm around me, and I'm 12. And he had his arm around me and on my knee. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God, like, I have a father. I, I mean, how safe I feel. And not even like a minute later, he started pushing his hand down my leg, trying to t- touch me. Wow. So as you can imagine, I kept pushing him away and he kept pushing my hand away. And I finally, I got up and ran out of the theater. And after that, he ended up, you know, trying to console me. Mm-hmm. I'm crying un- uncontrollably. And of course, the only thing he really cares about is that I don't tell my mom. Of right? course. Or don't, or told, don't, don't tell, tell anybody. Yeah. Right. Don't tell anyone. And so there was a, a trip that I wanted to go on through the school. So he, re- you know, he started going, remember that trip you want to go on? Do you still you want to go on it? Because I had been told that they, we didn't have enough money. So now I got to go on the trip and we went to buy luggage for the trip. So then I go home with this secret, right? And um, I was devastated, but I really had the belief that it wasn't going to happen again. Mm. And, but things were continuing. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the addiction podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, No matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www.patreon.com slash the Addiction Podcast 273, and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us.
things were continuing and I knew that he was doing things in my sleep, but I was a really deep sleeper and I couldn't really prove it. Mm-hmm. And, but that's where that intuition comes in, no matter what your age is, to listen to your gut when you know something is happening. If you don't feel comfortable around someone or feel comfortable in a situation, there is a real reason why you don't. So we ended I'm up- sorry. All I was going to say mm-hmm. is there's such a tendency to, I think sometimes to invalidate young children when mm-hmm. they have that intuition. And, yes. you know, lesson learned- viewers, if if a child is uncomfortable around someone, they're actually in many ways more intuitive than you and I. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And 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 because we're on that topic, I feel it's important to say this. And I I don't share this part of my story in my book or anywhere. But even prior to the first time him touching me, my mother myself and Richard were laying in front of the fireplace at his parents' home. I might have been 11 years old at this time. And I felt the energy from him that was not right. Right. I felt that he wanted to do something more than just be there as my the role of my father. I believe that. I had felt that. Yep. And I didn't understand it, right? But moving on, um, you you asked about my mother leaving. So what happened was we ended up going on a trip to Hong Kong. I got to go on my trip to Europe. I came home. They said, oh, now we're going to go on a trip to Hong Kong and Singapore. I think I'm living this most amazing life right now. I'm 13. Never left the country. I've never left Texas, you know. And so now I'm getting to go to Hong Kong and Singapore. Now we're in Hong Kong. We'd been at the pool. I get into the the shower. My my stepfather had brought me up to the room. He's laying in the bed. I had the door shut. I'm in this shower, the clear shower. And I happen to look at the door and I can see him trying to look up the slats at me in this see-through shower. And I jump out of the shower, terrified. What am I going to do? Right. And I noticed he left. So I got back in the shower, finished up. And then my mom comes back and she says, uh, Richard would like to be alone. And so we need to leave the room. Now, I hadn't gotten to do my hair. I was just finished my makeup. So at this time of my life, the only thing that mattered and that I had control of was how that I was on the outside. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. 
We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273 and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Right. And so it was so important to me. And so I'm crying. My mother's like, well, we'll find another place. We ended up getting into a huge argument in the middle of these water walkways in Hong Kong. She's strangling me, literally has her hands around my neck. And I scream out, I can't believe you're doing this and protecting a man that's sexually abusing your daughter. That's how I told her. She stops. And I'm, of course, trying to process all of this. But ultimately, the end result was you have to wear more clothes while you sleep. I can't leave. She was so terrified of leaving. She didn't know how to live her life. And so the only answer that she had was for me to wear more clothes. Unbelievable. Yeah. So then we go back. We go on with the trip as if nothing's happened. We go back uh, home. I know that things are still happening. And then one night I wake up. My mother would go walk the dogs. And that's when he would come in and touch me. Mm. And I woke up and his hand was in between my legs. Mm. So I roll over. I act like it, you know, I, you just freeze. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, I am in eighth grade. And I'm failing all my classes. I want to die. I really, I, I, I actually made a pact with my friend to, to end my life. And I also um, was starting to drink and uh, become somewhat promiscuous because I felt the only way boys would like me was to to give of my myself, right, sexually mm-hmm. or such. So I got up the next day. I went to school. My mother, I came home. My mother could tell something was very wrong with me. And I told her what happened. She called a hotline. We were trying to get help. Richard came home and he basically said when they went into the room, I'm outside of the room, that I wa- I knew what was happening and I wanted it to happen. And wow, my, my mother stayed. So she believed and him? I don't know if she believed him or not. I don't know... Now at 54 years old and going through all of my recovery and healing and forgiveness, what I see my mom as, she's deceased now, she died from alcoholism. 
Mm-hmm. What I see her as was a very, very broken woman that did not have the capacity to care for herself. She didn't know how to care for herself without a man doing it. And that she lived in complete fear. And she, I do believe that she loved me, but she didn't know how to have the strength to, to be my mother. Yep. It, you know? It's it, that's just evil what he was doing, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it, not everybody can confront evil and and deal with it. And it's uh, I'm not saying this to her detriment. I'm just saying a lot of people cannot confront evil yeah. like that. And anyway, so I'm sorry yeah. that you had to go through all that. So, but you're right. drinking now at, at this age, I guess. Right. So I'm drinking some. Um, we ended up moving to another part of Houston. Houston's very vast. There's lots of places to live. So we had moved to a place called the Woodlands. And now, um, I'm going to be going into 10th grade when we make this move, but I'm very excited. New start, a big, beautiful home, this new place. And, um, I don't believe What's interesting is I don't believe my stepfather touched me again. Interesting. But I also don't remember Mm. a lot of living in that house. Hmm. I remember my life outside of it. I remember it at school. I remember being with my friends. But I still to this day do not remember anything but living up in my room in that house. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. So they ended up having an extremely tumultuous relationship, drinking at an all-time high, fighting at an all-time high. I'm basically at this time, what am I? I'm like maybe a junior in high school, and I'm basically living with my, at my boyfriend's mom's house. Okay. And um, they ended up getting a divorce when I was a junior. And... um Another big part of my story is I moved a lot, like every two years in some capacity, school, house, whatever it was, uh, you know, whoever was caring for me, I was always moving. Yep. So my senior year, she was going to move me away. I begged her not to move. So then now I, we do stay in the area. I get to finish out high school. Um, I'm drinking a lot on the weekends. I'm in bad relationships, right? I so I always have to have a boyfriend, but it doesn't matter. They're very volatile, my relationships. That senior year, my mother is now on her own. And I'm basically having to play the role of the mother to her <laughs> because her drinking is in such excess. I am, I'm in fear all the time she's going to get killed on the roads because mm. I know she's out there drinking and driving. She's bringing home young men. Um, it was another very, very difficult time. So once I left the house after I graduated high school, I was like, I was gone. gone. I never yep. went back. Yep. I, tr- I tried to go to junior. I tried to get into the college. With my boyfriend, thank God I didn't because he was a nightmare. But um, <clears throat> I ended up going to a junior college because I didn't have any direction. 
I still to this day don't even know how I got through high school, right? Um, but I did. Went to a junior high school, a junior college, and uh, with the anticipation of hopefully going to University of Texas. So you could go to junior college. They had one at Blinn, and then you would go to UT. Well, I went in with every good intention of doing well in school, but what did I find? I found people to party with, mm. and that's what I ended up doing, escaping, escaping, escaping. I did that for several years, um, going in and out of different schools. Marcy, did you do drugs too or just alcohol? Well, when I graduated high school and I got into the club scene at that time, it was the it was 1987, I did start using ecstasy, experimenting with cocaine. Okay. At the clubs. Okay. But what I will say is that when I was when I went to junior college, I ended up getting with the party scene at the school. And they I had went to school because I was trying to get away from the cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then of course I found the people that were doing cocaine. I had this very um pivotal moment where I was like in an apartment complex. This was right before I went off to the school. I was in an apartment complex and this is all in my book. I'm my, my boyfriend's a drug dealer. I'm clubbing all the time. Like this was the scene and I'm walking by the pool. I don't know if you ever saw Melrose place. So yes. it had that the apartment complex that was basically yep. a box. Everyone lived on the inside. Yep. And <clears throat> the pool was in the middle. I was walking. I see myself in this huge plate uh, window, a reflection of myself. And I, I saw my mother. Mm. Hold on. I'm sorry. Cause that, I, I think that went, I saw my mother and I knew at that moment I had to walk away from that life. Mm. So I'm very fortunate that through my my youth and my adolescence and stuff that I had these moments, these light bulb moments that I had to make a change or I, my life was going to go really south. Right. And I was going to turn into my mother. Um, I did ultimately uh, find direction. My My grandmother took me to some testing to find out what, where my interests were, what type of school would be best for you, for me. Cause I was floundering. And, um, I ended up at the art Institute of Houston. Mm -hmm. I'm very much a creative soul. <laughs> and, um, and that's where my television career started. That's awesome. My, but how did, did you just stop? Did you just like get sober, just stopping or did you do any sort of training? Well, so that's an important question, right? <laughs> the, the drugs, I did stop. I did stop that on my own. But at that time with the partying going on and the drinking, I got a DUI one night. Um, I went for nickel beer night at one of the clubs that we would go to. So I was, you know, having a lot of fun with nickel beer night. <laughs> and, um, and then I, of course, I, I, I wanted to drive home, even though my friend tried to, to take the keys. So that happened. So I got a DUI. And then about two years later, I got another DUI. Mm. And that's my, my, in my early, you know, twenties. Yep. So like 1921. And, um, 
I did have a period there where I stopped drinking for about three months. Okay. I went to AA. The court insisted that I go to AA, right? Yep. Um, I did stop drinking. And, um, but I convinced myself that I'm okay. I, I've stopped drinking. I've proved to myself that I can drink. I'm not drink. I don't have to drink. At that time, I actually had had a, I had a good job. So life was looking pretty good. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's how life was for me. I had these real peaks and valleys that I would have, I would, you know, always, and this is something that an alcoholic does often, changes people, places, and things, um, thinking that things will get better. And that's what would happen for me. They would get better for a while, but then the drinking would escalate again. Things would start spiraling. I would get unhappy and my drinking would escalate. Every day of my life, I drank though, right. till the time I didn't drink and the few times that I stopped drinking for those little periods. But ultimately, right. I drank every day. And that's what I had always seen. My parents right. drank. My grandfather drank every day. Drinking every day, I thought that was the norm. Who who doesn't have wine with dinner, right? Right. right. Or more. Yeah. So, so when did you finally decide that you had to stop? So, you know, there's a lot of life in between there. Right. I... um. I had a very successful career in television. Uh, I did find my husband. I was living in LA. My husband and I um, had a, a, a son. We moved to New Jersey. We had our second child. And I decided at 40 that I wanted to get in front of the camera. And once I got in front of the camera, it started bringing up all of my self-loathing, um, my my I had my self-esteem issues because I was in this place where I I was being judged all the time by auditioning, um, in in acting, right? And so my drinking began to escalate, meaning that I I was starting to use it as liquid courage. I would drink it before my auditions. I was going into the city. I was drinking after my auditions, um, still drinking in the evening at dinner time. So my drinking was getting worse and worse uh, because I was feeling worse and worse. So it was like this, the acting actually brought all of my demons to the surface. Mm. And, um, you know, here I am trying to be the best mom I can because I never want to be my mother. I never want my children to feel abandoned. I don't want other people to raise my children. But then I'm trying to act. And that's something you have to be at the beck and call of your agents and the gigs that you get and such. But I've always been someone that has been driven. I've always wanted. I love being a mom, but I always have needed to have something really for my creative outlet. Yep. And and to to be able to grow in that area, and so that's what I was trying to do. Had the perimenopause going on in my forties, um, and then my drinking just got out of control. My victimhood got out of control. The victim mentality got out of control, 
my mother, you know, trying to take care of my mother, her addiction, her not being in my life, but yet also trying to, you know, every day wondering if she's going to die or not. So was your, was, what, your, was your husband drinking as well or did he see that you he, had a problem or? He definitely would drink. Yes. He always thought that I, my drinking was different. Yes. Especially towards the last several years. Um, but of course I always thought he just didn't know how to have fun and that he was a very judgmental person. Mm. Um, he's an, an executive, he's very driven in work. Um, so I kind of turned on him and thought you're, you're wanting a Stepford wife, uh, Mm -hmm. this perfect woman, um, and trying to change our lives to try to be this executive with this perfect wife. And um, I actually resented him for that. And I actually, I'm sure you've heard about drinking at someone. <laughs> so I I would, you know, while I'm doing that to try to harm him, I'm harming myself even more so, right? Right. So I I started recognizing that my drinking was getting to to be too much. My husband was also kind of saying some things. The thing is, is you, if you, especially like me, the person I was, you tell me I'm an alcoholic or I have a drinking problem, I'm going to get very defensive. You mm-hmm. can't just tell someone that, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be very gentle about it. Yep. And so I ended up, you know, trying to find all these different ways to st- to tame my drinking. The idea of never drinking again absolutely terrified me. Mm. I thought that that would never happen. So I was looking like for hypnosis, acupuncture, right? All these different modalities that could potentially help me to be a normal drinker. To get it under Uh, control. Yeah. So I ended up, I decided to go to AA, 12 step. I was just terrified of that crying, so much shame. Um, But it was the best thing I did. I was in there for another three months. (laughs) We went on a vacation. I didn't drink. I once again, even though now I'm in my 40s, 20 years later, convinced myself again, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have the same stories of everybody else in this room. I have a productive life. I'm a good mom. I'm, I'm involved in the community. Like... I am not the sto- their, their stories, yeah. right? So in that year, my drinking, um, the acting, the drinking, my life spiraled. I brought people into my life that were drinking at a high, high rate. So I didn't feel bad about myself. And I ended up, I, I had to have a real consequence for myself to mm-hmm. stop drinking. And ultimately what happened, October 3rd of 2015, I went on a modeling gig. I ended up, there's a lot more of the story, but I ended up drinking my liquid courage. I walked the runway show, met with my girlfriend after. We ended up drinking after, and I got behind the wheel in a blackout. Mm. I didn't have many blackouts, but I ended up blacking out this day and getting behind the wheel. And basically coming to with a, 
me parked on the side of the road with a police officer asking me for all my information. Wow. Yeah. So you can imagine, well, that evening I went to bed still angry. Like if my life were better, this wouldn't be happening to me. Right. Hmm. My husband was around more. If I had help with my kids, you know, I was, there was always, it was always something being done to me. Right. Because when you have that victim mentality, you don't have a role. Right. Right. When things go wrong, it's always somebody else. Somebody else's responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. So I ended up uh, waking up the next morning and the most miraculous thing happened for me. Um, I ended up just, I just was laying in bed. I just realized like, oh my God, Mercy, I had this revelation, like you are about to lose everything that means everything to you. Mm. Like you're fighting it so hard. You're living in all these lies. You're so unhappy. You're always in anger. And I finally just was like, I had a problem. I need help. And (laughs) one thing I always was looking for was love. Somebody to love me. Yeah. Right. So I walk downstairs. I sit down with my husband and I start crying. And I told him, I need help. And I'm an alcoholic. And he embraced me, Joni. And it was the first time that I felt love. It was like all at once, the weight of the world came off my shoulders. And then I was embraced by love. Wow. That's very cool. <laughs> It was absolutely amazing. Um, And I went to AA that day. And for me, I thankfully did not have to go through detox and all. Um, And I was completely ready to surrender. I was ready to do what I was told. And I was ready to work the program. Awesome. And thankfully, because the connections I had made from the prior time I was in there, I was able to call someone that could meet me at a meeting. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And that, and so you've been clean and sober for eight years, right? Yeah. So I'm, I just, God took over. I let God take <laughs> over the wheel. I love that. I just, I, I was like, I can't do it anymore. Can't do it anymore. I can't live this life anyway anymore the way that I've been living it. Um, I'm ready to make a change. And I'm so happy I did. Yeah. It's honestly been the best thing. Like you're so fearful of never drinking again. Like that idea of never drinking again. <laughs> like you can't even fathom it. Right. How can when I exist been, without this liquid courage? How is my life? Am exactly. I get like, done or can I confront anything? Yeah, I get it. And yeah. it and it and it was always the only thing that I ever could fall back on. It was always there for me, right? At five right. o'clock, I'm gonna have my glass of wine and I'm gonna feel better. Like every day was a struggle to get through until my glass of wine at five o'clock. Until right. I started drinking earlier. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um. 
So I started working the program and honestly, I'd been, I'd gone through so much therapy from all the pain and um, the trauma in my life. Yep. But it was the 12 steps that really helped me to do the true healing, to peel back the layers, to get to the inner child work, uh, to become spiritually fulfilled. Yep. To really start to be guided by my higher power and my inner guidance. There's so much healing that happens in that first year, as you can imagine. Yep. Our brains, our bodies are completely saturated in alcohol and these toxins. Yep. And it takes so long for our bodies to heal at a cellular level, for us to rewire our brains. And it's a constant evolution. But I mean, that first year, like it's changing your habits. It's changing the people in your lives. It's changing the places in your lives. So you're not triggered anymore. There's there's so many steps and, and tools that you learn but then it's about really peeling back and getting to the trauma work. Yep. And that's yep. the most important part of it. It is because alcohol was a solution. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they address the addiction, but if they don't find out what was the problem for which mm-hmm. drugs or the alcohol root cause. became yep. the solution, then you don't you don't get at the root cause. Yeah, like you said. How did you get your TV show? How did that come about? So I was about a year into my uh, sobriety journey and I had stopped the acting for the most part because I knew that that was a huge trigger. It was not good for me. Right. So I wanted to step away from that. And, but I had a friend that had, converted his garage not too far from me into a studio. So Mm. I was like, you know what? Let me help you. I've met so many people through my work. So let me help you to bring people into your studio. And I started kind of connecting with people. We came up with this idea for a talk show. I was going to be bringing in these paid guests a bit. Ultimately, I was going to be the booking producer, Mm -hmm. not the person on Mm -hmm. air. Yep. Well, the person that was going to be the on-air talent and the gentleman that had the studio did some things behind my back. And you know what? I'm grateful they did because I ultimately decided that seed had been planted and God was guiding me and it grew and grew and grew. And I just, I kept saying to myself, like, why can't I host this? Right. I can get the, I can get the guest. I'm so entrenched in the community. I have so much uh, experience uh, in the television, behind the scenes, in production, and now on air. Why can't I do a talk show of my own? So I started a social media talk show called Coffee with Marcy. And what I was doing is I was doing Facebook Live interviews. I was bringing on people in the community that had businesses or nonprofits, and I was giving them a voice in the community. Nice. About a year in, I I had a, I was getting a great following. I was selling segments on my show for this Facebook Live show. 
it was really working well. I had a gentleman that had come into my life that had started a streaming network, wanted to put Coffee with Marcy on there. I was talking to him one day and he was telling me about this talk show he was going to do. And I said, you know, I want to do something more. I was living this most beautiful life, uh, so much beauty spiritually. Um, I was I was doing things involving in my work, like un, unlike I'd ever thought I would. Mm-hmm. Was finding things out about myself. I found self love. Uh, I wanted to give back to other people. I wanted to give them the ability to know we all go through difficult times. Everyone has a story, and I wanted to give a platform for these stories to share how they got through. What's the triumph through your tragedy? And and share hope with other people. And that's where Wake Up With Marcy was born. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how long have you been doing Wake Up With Marcy? The Wake Up With Marcy, I'm now um, about seven years in. That's that's awesome. That is just... And now I have a nationally syndicated show. Um, I've won three tellies for the the work that I've done. I just... I just was announced that I won a uh, anthem award for my uh, my my segment on mental health and um, oh my gosh I'm sorry hold on that's okay well you think I'll just say congratulations that's very thank cool. you I'm so excited <laughs> uh, it was on suicide on, oh, okay. on teen suicide adolescent suicide and mental health okay. Um, my my platform today is really all about self-improvement, recovery, wellness, mental health. Awesome. Those all work together. Yep. And yep. they are the makeup for us and our and our happiest lives. Yep. So I bring people on to tell their stories. I bring experts on to help the audience, provide resources, provide tips. So I ultimately want people to know that they can come to, uh, well, now wake up with Marcy and Hillary. I've brought on a co-host. You know, there's there's just so many ways that we just need to be told it's okay. You can get through whatever you're going through and this is how to do it. Yep. Yep. I love it. Yeah. How do people watch Wake Up With Marcy? How do they find that if they want to watch it? So Wake Up With Marcy is on in the tri-state area, which is Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Manhattan. Okay. And it's on a network called uh, WLNY TV, 1055. Uh, actually, the call now for it is New York 55. It's also um, on Hulu Live. It's on Fubo TV. It's on Binge Network. It's on my YouTube. It's on my website, Wake Up With Marcy. Um, it's also a podcast. You can listen to it as a podcast. So there's really ways for and It's also in Santa Monica, Malibu, CBS, and uh, the Idaho, Idaho Falls area. Um, but through this journey also, my biggest, while I am so proud of the work I do on my show, uh, it's really the guidance to have written my book. And mm. to really tell my story, to connect with the reader. <clears throat> that's right. That's why you tell the stories. You allow this platform for people to tell their stories. Stories, yep. So yep. you can connect and say, I get it. I, I get where you were. 
how did things, how did it work for you? How were you able to get sober? How have you been able to remain sober for eight years? How, how has life changed for you? Yep. And, and what are the action items? What's the toolbox? What happened in the 12 step program? These are all things that I share in my book. I love that. And I'm just so grateful to help through my book, Chaos. It's called Chaos to Clarity. Chaos right? to Clarity. And I'm assuming it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, okay. Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. But it's um, Chaos to Clarity, seeing the signs, because a huge part of my story uh, and what I share in my book is seeing signs from the other side. I was truly ultimately guided in many, many things that I did. And I I received confirmation and guidance through signs that I saw in, in the 3D, but I know came from the other side. Right. And then also breaking the cycles, generational cycles. Yep. We 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 can't help a lot of times who we are made to be. Yep. Um, but what we can do is change that version of ourselves. Like we, you know, we are brought up to be a certain way with our morals, with our values, with our beliefs, with our trauma, with our coping mechanisms, with our pain and the way that we we've learned to survive, but we can ultimately change all of those things so we can live our ultimate soul's purpose in our happiest life. And that's what we all have the ability to live this most magical life. A lot of times we just get so stuck yep, and we don't know how to make the change. Yep. And that's what I'm hoping to help people do is to know how to make the change, the benefits of making the change and just know that you can do it. It's so possible. Yep. I love that. I think that's a great message, Marcy. And I will pop up a picture of the book and also the link how people can get it in the show notes. Marcy, thank you for talking to us today. What a great way for us to start off 2024 for our listeners to give them some wonderful messages of hope and a way to improve their lives. You are a rock star and very courageous. And I applaud you not only for your sobriety, because we know it's not easy from all the people we've spoken to, but also because you're giving back in such a huge way. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to tell my story. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. While Marcy's story starts off quite horrifically, it has a wonderful ending. She has a fabulous life and she has such good messages for the rest of us to live our best life. So thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.